I honestly treated my team like I was running a mastermind with my team and like I'm teaching them business 101. What is a lead? What is a conversion? What are the expenses? I, I do open books management. I show them the P&L. They know every number. And so they know these are the numbers. And so now we can have intelligent conversations. I feel like sometimes when owners push their team outside the room, when it's time to talk P&L and expenses and just business talk, they're hurting them from growing. If you want them to be business leaders. You got to teach them business and, and how it all works. And they're going to look to you as their guru or their mentor or somebody that's helping them to, to learn this. And I've, I think over three team members that celebrated five year anniversaries with me this year. What if I didn't go back five years ago and start developing them? I would have complacent people that are lower skilled or I have strong leaders running the business that are higher skilled because I started that five years ago, right? Welcome to the Fitness Empire Podcast, where we show gym owners how to dominate their competition and build a massively profitable fitness business. Dustin and Matt collectively own 12 gyms and have a combined 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. They're here to help gym owners create an empire of impact and income. Hey everybody, this is Dustin Bogle and I'm super excited for this next episode of the Fitness Empire Podcast. Welcome to the show. We are gonna be mixing things up this week. So if you guys are just listening in for the first time, definitely recommend going back and listening to our first episode. There's some great things for you guys to learn there. But today we are going to be turning the tables with my, my co-host, Matt Wilbur. Uh, we're going to be changing things up here so that you guys can learn our background story, our origin story. Where do we come from? Why should you even listen to me or Matt and, and what we have to say? So we want to go back in time and kind of share with you guys our entrepreneurial background, our experience. And again, all of this is to give you guys golden nuggets because, you know, our mission with this podcast and this movement is to help you guys, gym owners, to build an empire so you can have an epic income and impact in your life and create that generational wealth. So we're going to be talking about that and we're going to be diving into our story. But today we're going to focus on me, which is hard. I got to tell you, Matt, because I'm always wanting to put the, the spotlight on other people and talk about other people. And, and so sometimes turning it inward towards me is going to be tough, but I think you're going to do a good job, man. I know you're an awesome interviewer. So yes. <laughs> awesome interview. I don't interview many people too often, but I am super excited for this to really get to, to know Dustin even better. I go back with Dustin. I mean, it's got to be eight or nine years now that I've known Dustin in the fitness industry. And um, I've always loved working with Dustin and getting the opportunities to be around Dustin because he's such a go-giver. He's got a servant's heart truly cares. Like when we talk about one of the biggest frustrations in the industry for me is, especially in the last three to four years, a lot of investors have come into the industry that don't actually have a passion and heart for serving and taking care of people and, and, and taking care of their team and leading their team uh, to provide the best product possible. At the heart of what we do for us, it's not about money. It's about having an impact and truly wanting to change and impact lives. And uh, you definitely do that at the highest level. So I'm looking forward to interviewing you. And Thanks. where I want to start is where I want to start is kind of where you're at today, and then actually go backwards. And we'll talk about your childhood. So I think it's important to see kind of where we're at, but realize where we're at today for Dustin, it's been 20 years in the industry, which he'll, he'll talk about. So a lot of people compare where they're at today, their day one to somebody's day 1000 or 2000 or, 
you know, 5,000 and, uh, or you're on your first rep and somebody's done it 10,000 times. And we, we compare it to that, but I think it's important to know where we're at today, but then we're going to go, how did we actually get to where, where we're at today? But today is all about Dustin. So give us a little highlight of where you're at today. You run, you know, multiple gyms, uh, multiple businesses. So just give us a little bit of insight uh, on where you're at today, Dustin. Yeah, I'm excited, man, because I've heard it said that, you know, different decades, you just see typical patterns and it typically for most people, and then there's outliers, 20s is about learning, 30s, you start earning, and then your 40s, 50s and beyond is about multiplying. And so, uh, yeah, it, it does make me feel old when I hear that. I got certified as a trainer in 2004. We're creeping up on 20 years here of being a certified trainer and 11 years of being a gym owner. So at this stage, owning and operating three locations, a team of 20 in, in those fitness facilities, and then nearly, I think it's just sub 50, I think we're at 48 team members in gym reinforcements. And so uh, these are the, the companies that I'm mainly focused on at this time. And so those are the things that we're doing. If you guys don't know, it's kind of a unique situation for me, but hopefully again, I can share some ideas and, and strategies with you guys. Two years ago, actually this month, I actually made the call to move from where I grew up my entire life, which was Southern California, into the Dallas, Texas area and completely uprooted my family, made that decision with the wife and, you know, basically started over here because we didn't know a whole lot of people. And so think about what that needed, what needed to be done in the business to be able to do that and to, and to feel comfortable with it coming out of probably arguably the most difficult time for our industry. Right. So it's like. You mix in COVID and, and that whole 2020 debacle and then feeling comfortable to move to another state. Like, so like, what do you, what do you need to, to have in place to be able to make that call? So that's pretty much where I'm at with the business as of today. So there's a lot of complexity and then I'm sure we'll break it down here in the, the rest of the interview. Just to recap what he just said at the peak of COVID, he decided he's going to move while he has three gyms in California and then operating another business uh, with, with a ton of employees and a ton of complexity. And the only way you do that is if you have solid leadership skills and you got a lot of courage because uh, yeah. it takes a lot of courage to do that. But courage is a hallmark of, of leadership and having the courage to live the life and the vision that, that you want to have is, is massively important. So what are some uniques about your gyms? Yeah, and, and I'm glad that you're pointing that out because often when people name drop the word courage, they think of Braveheart, running into battle, fighting against this tyrannical government, you know, like it's always tied to something huge, but plenty of times in your life that you have to, you know, show it and it might be a smaller situation, you know, like the, than what, you know, is put up on a pedestal. So it might be a tough talk with a team member that is courage or a tough talk with a client or moving your family. Like these might not be things that are going to change the world, but they, they were a big change in your life. And so I think, again, uh, that's a great word to really pour into people because sometimes what they need to move their business to the next level is some courage. Stay away from the liquid courage. You need to build the skill. Yeah. Regular we don't, courage. we don't want any, any of that, but um, so obviously I said uniques about your gym. Actually, just tell us a little bit about your gym. What type of services do you provide um, at your gyms? Yeah, the the brand name is Lead the Way Fitness. And one day I was leaving our gym and I, I we have a, a moment where we let the team kind of have a little bit of, uh, you know, like uh, freedom, creative freedom. 
And so we say, okay, bring everyone together, have everybody stack up their hands and count down to three. And then you choose a phrase we're going to yell that day. And sometimes it's one, two, three, don't quit. Or one, two, three, you know, stronger. On this day, they had everybody say one, two, three, lead the way. And I heard that and I was like, that's cool. Cause I'm a student of leadership. I was like, I like that phrase. And, I, and that's how I want to, you know, kind of like live my life. I want to lead from the front. I want to show people the change, not just say it. And so when we were thinking about like, you know, a name that we want to put on things, I was like, that's it. We got to go lead the way fitness. And so we were going through a rebranding and then that's the one we landed on. And so what makes us unique is that we really want to not just be a place people go and work out. We, we say that we want to build fitness leaders. And so that means people that are like soldiers going out into the community and they're now creating this ripple effect of more fit people and more fit people, because that is the only way. We're ever going to fight back against this uh, obesity epidemic is we have to have more people on the front lines going out and spreading the good news of health and fitness and living that healthy lifestyle. And so the person that we try to go for is the parents, uh, the mom and dad of the household, because that is where the, the battles are going to be won is in the houses of America. And so we know that if mom gets fit, she's the nucleus of the household. She, by default, if she gets healthy, Chances are she spreads that to her, her husband and then she spreads it to the kids and then people at her office come up to her and say what is happening and it's all because one person made a change and that's why we're really lasered in on that as our target avatar. We do help men, we do help dads. The, the tough part with them is they sometimes have egos and they have a hard time hiring a coach or asking for help. So we know we're going to make the most impact really lasering in on moms and so that is who we, we help we can create her into a fitness leader we know ripple effects will occur and so that is what we do at lead the way fitness that's awesome and when the the ladies get started and they start loving the gym and getting used to it then the husbands get interested and they bring them in because yes. um in our large, large group we're we're about 70 percent women like 30 percent men is really high um, for, for a group fitness, but I think a big part of that is because we do such a good job and provide such a high level product uh, and people, the husbands start going, okay, what's going on? You're changing. Things are different. I need to see wh what this is all about, or they drag them in because now they know it. Now it's good for them. Right. So that is incredible. And the other stat, like I grew up an overweight kid and was raised in a household that was not conducive to being healthy and fit. I had free access to, we had a chip drawer. We had access to a uh, snack drawer. So every time you come home from school, it was either grabbing the bag of chips or grabbing the grabbing the snacks. And it was unlimited access, right? And the truth is, if both parents are obese, children are 80% likely to be obese. So the environment changes. And just like you said, mom is the nucleus to that environment. Mom is typically depending on like figuring out what, what everybody's eating and, and feeding people and making the food for the family. So when mom starts cooking healthier and eating better, everybody indirectly starts doing that, which is, which is absolutely massive. Let's talk about the challenges of running gyms from a completely different state. So your gyms are in California. You live in Texas. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you face running your gyms? I, I definitely think it's for me, I'm very connection driven. So it's connection with my team. You know, it's like having a long distance relationship. We're all Zoom and text and DMs. And so missing out on team dinners, team workouts, just, you know, that whole water cooler talk. Would you do this weekend? Like 
that was something that I know I'm I'm really good at and I did it with my team and and that helped us get up and running. And so that is definitely hard. Like I, I honestly miss my team. I'm like always finding excuses like, is there a big training I should be out there for? You guys need me? And I'm like, I, you know, they're they're but like they don't, honestly, like they're good. They don't. I could I could never step foot back in my gym and I know they're gonna run like a hummingbird. But that's kind of me, just the connection side of me, wanting to get and be around them. And again, that's the coach in me, like tangible hands, swapping sweat, high five and after a workout, you know, hugging, all these types of things. That's just how I am. So yeah, that that's definitely a challenge. And then also, you guys probably know this, the gym owners is that when you walk in, you just see all the details. And sometimes your team might not, they're so focused on what they got to do and their task. They're not looking is the the gym arranged the way you want it is it you know organized you know like how's the front entrance you know presenting like again there's times that i i'll go walk through and i'll find little things again they're really good at, at you know keeping things up to par but i i'm i'm the owner i don't know who else is gonna like really see those things like the owner does i don't think that can ever be really passed down you know it's something that I've even heard, you know, Trump would go into one of his prime hotels that's doing amazing business wise. And he start picking apart, you know, things around the hotel. And and does he need to like where he is, you know, financially? No. But when you're just around people with high standards, it just comes out of them whether you want, want it to or not. And so uh, that's the other thing is just sometimes like knowing are those details all being, you know, hit as if I were on site. But again, they they say that to release for the owner to really get removed and to feel in control, you got to be okay that it's at 80 or 90% of what you would do. And, and that's the only way you can grow. Uh, no, nobody will usually meet at hundred percent of what you would do. And that's just the owner mindset. You know, it's very difficult to pass that down to a team member. Yeah. Tillman Fertitta is also a, a billionaire. And uh, they, they famously joke because obviously uh, flies private. They said, Tillman Fertitta can see a light bulb out from 30,000 feet up in the air. Um, and that's how detailed oriented, uh, obviously he is. And, and that's the level that high level people think about, right. Is those little details, but it's also important too. And I found is like, be careful about criticizing and, and who you're bringing that feedback to, right. Because if every time you're around your team and all you're doing is nitpicking all the things that are wrong, you know, obviously you're going to start creating negative states for your team or they're going to think of you negatively. Oh, whenever Matt's around or Dustin's around, like all he does is point out all the things that that are wrong. Right. So I've had to learn who do you give that feedback to, uh, which which is massively important because, two, with you being around only so often. Right. We want to make sure that we're leaving people in in positive states when when we are around um, and looking forward to when you're you're coming into the facility to do those things. So how do you keep up your influence? So John Maxwell famously said, leadership is influence. How do you maintain your influence on your team? How do you keep them in, in positive mental states, knowing that you can't do the things that you used to do to be able to do that? Because when you're in person, you can easily pick people up. You can easily tell when people's maybe their mental states are a little bit off and they need to pick me up and you can catch those things. How do you um, still give that positive influence to your team, even though you're so far away? Yeah, number one is definitely showing I'm engaged. I definitely, I, no one said this, but I assumed they were probably thinking, this is where we lose, this is where we're not going to hear from him a lot, and he's going to disengage from the business, he's moving on to other things. 
Absolutely not. I was still very active in the group chat. I showed up to every team meeting. The consistency was there. I was showing encouragement. I'd asked for my leaders to give me information about what they see so I can compliment the team. And I really you know, wanted to show them that consistency and that engagement. Then kind of like we're supposed to do with our clients, like I always found it weird that if a coach really says they're a coach, but they don't really try to pour into them outside the floor. Well, I was really good always about commenting on my client's Facebook and, you know, and liking their stuff and, and just showing them love off of the floor about I want to know what's going on in your personal life. Well, I did that with my team, too. And I just started like I mean, I was doing it when I was living in California, but I'd even doubled up. And I'm commenting on everything. I'm liking everything. I'm showing them. I'm like seeing what's going on in your life. And I'm interested. And then the final part is lots of one-on-one -on -one phone calls. You know, like, again, that's the best I can do from where I'm at. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm giving them my time and they always feel like accessible to me. It's one of those things that like, they don't need to, you know, like, uh, like sometimes talk to me, they can easily talk to a leader. You know, we have very strong leaders on our team. But sometimes they want to feel like they have access. They're not being glass ceiling or blocked by, you know, talking to the boss. And so sometimes, you know, again, I don't mind doing those things for my team because I want to show them that I care and I, you know, I want to be there for them. And then when I am in town, like definitely planning hangouts, we got to get dinner. We got to do a group workout. We got to have a training of some sort. You know, we've done Disneyland. We've gone, you know, out to dinner, top golf, just like there's got to be an event we got to have some non-work time, you know? So those are, those are some of the things that I've done to really, you know, stay involved in what's going on with them and, and the influence side of things too. No, those are awesome. One thing that, that I learned and everyone kind of, I say, and, and people like kind of chuckle, right? I was like, as a leader, part of your job is to get your team high. Um, and, and what I mean by that is how do we get their mental states as high as possible, like you're creating events for them, right? You're still doing trainings, you're still doing these outings and these events and giving them something to look forward to, to get your team high. And then obviously in between the, the goal is how do we not let them get too low, right? Like if they don't hear from you enough, if you're not creating these events and doing these things, they're going to get really low. And then they're going to start having negative thoughts, negative beliefs, negative feelings about the business, negative feelings about you as the, the owner, because you're, you're distanced and you're disengaged and it doesn't seem like you care. So obviously you're very intentional about doing that for, for your team. And I think that's actually one of the biggest things that a lot of gym owners miss is, man, what type of things are you doing to get your team high and getting them excited and things to look forward to? It makes a massive difference on your team to like, or else it just feels like Groundhog's Day every single day. And when there's just nothing to look forward to, like you just start losing energy. So that's a big, massive takeaway. And he's doing that from another state. So if he can do that from another state, you can do that from the same building. Yeah. Uh, I promise you, it's about being intentional about it and being resourceful. You don't have to invest, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into the things that Dustin just talked about, but you can figure out ways to, to do that for your team. All right, moving on to the next thing. What is like, a, obviously that was a key strategy, but what are some of the key strategies you use to effectively run your gym from a distance? Yeah, so that definitely, like that is not an overnight thing. Anybody listen to this, you just opened your gym one to two, three years ago. I don't think it's gonna be in, in the near future, you're gonna be able to walk away and completely be an absentee owner. So I think everyone needs a reality check. This is my 11th year being a gym owner and I only left it two years ago. So that's nine years of building systems, buildings leader, building culture, making the product better. And so really just putting that nose to the grindstone. 
And so I, I would definitely not feel comfortable walking away if I didn't have strong leaders. I probably would end up just selling them and just wipe, wipe my hands. But I did not want to because I very much believe in what we do. What I'm doing in my personal life doesn't need to affect my professional life. And so uh, I decided that, you know, hey, we need we definitely got to have strong leaders if this is going to work. And I knew that. And we were always studying leadership and developing the team. And so I know the the team leaders that are running the facilities are an extension of me. And so my number one you know, goal remotely is to develop them as much as possible to be the best leaders they can be because they are team facing the most. They are client facing the most. So, you know, that that's not a system, but it is a person. And so it, it's upward mobility opportunity, right? Like somebody can step into this and, and running it. And so creating profit share opportunities where now they're a part, you know, ownership in the business. So like just as much as I want to see it grow, they want to see it grow because they are cut in on that. And so creating those opportunities for people and developing them to being the leader, because just because you give somebody an opportunity doesn't mean they're going to be great at it. You got to make sure it's the right person and you want to be spending time developing them. And, and guys, this is a good reminder. It takes way more time than you think it will. You're not going to develop somebody. They're like, oh, I got this coach. They seem pretty smart. I want to get them to run in the place here in the next 90 days. Good luck. Like this is something that will take many years, I, I believe, to, to, to be fully removed. It will take years. But if you got that horse that you really see has that stamina and they have the culture skills and they have the management skills and the and they you just see the potential, start developing them now because you're going to probably have to do it one skill at a time. If you try to pile on everything you learned, you'll overwhelm them and they'll end up bailing. So it's like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on helping them build this skill. I'm going to help them with this one and then this one. Then you look back after two plus years, you're like, they're ready. Now they can run the show, you know? So definitely having a strong leader, and then with systems, I definitely build them to have a trust but verify type of uh, you know build out, which means I trust my team. They're good, they're honest people, but sometimes we can be skewed by what we think we did and what we really did, and having actual numbers and data. And so you know, coaching them to to just really understand. I honestly treated my team like I was running a mastermind with my team, and like that they were. I'm teaching them business one on one. What is a lead? What is a conversion? What are the expenses? I, I do open books management. I show them the PL. They know every number. And so they know, like, you know, the, these are the numbers. And so now we can have intelligent conversations. I feel like sometimes when owners push their team outside the room when it's time to talk PL and expenses and just business talk, they're hurting them from growing. And if you want them to be business leaders, you got to teach them business and, and how it all works. And you don't, you know, got to be operating with this mindset that they're going to steal from you and go take all that knowledge and go open a competitor. They're, they're going to look to you as like their guru or their mentor or somebody that's helping them to, to learn this. Honestly, they, they probably don't really have the bug. You know, most, most people I don't feel have the uh, skills or the, the mindset to be a true entrepreneur. It is very challenging. There's a reason there's a very few percentage of them. So don't be afraid by that. Instead, think, you know, instead of operating from that, what if they leave, you know, we want to think of that, what if they stay type of mindset, right? So it's like, they're going to be here for years. And I've, I think over three team members that celebrated five-year anniversaries with me this year. What if I didn't go back five years ago and start developing them? I would have complacent people that are lower skilled, or I have strong leaders running the business that are higher skilled because I started that five years ago, right? And we have multiple people with three plus years. 
So uh, really, again, that trust, but verify, like I trust them. They've been me a long time. I trust them with my keys, my kids and my money. And so if somebody you have that trust with, you, you, you still need to just check in. You want to make sure you, it allows you to sleep at night. You want to verify. Sometimes they goof up. They don't understand, a, a, you know, a, what conversion is completely or lead is completely. And so you're still involved. You're still coaching and, and you're, you know, mentoring and helping them, you know, understand how everything works. And then the final part I would say, and that, you know, what we talked about earlier, that, that you know, team empowerment uh, with them choosing what they want to say at the end of the session there are times where I operate from decentralized command. There's things we're very firm on. This is our system. And then we do create wiggle room for allowing the, the team to express themselves and to have some creative freedom. And so uh, one of the things that I would say also is like a, a, a tactic and a strategy is like team empowerment and like not only empowering them how to do things, but encouraging them to, to tell us what they think we should do and asking for their feedback because when it's their idea, they'll be more bought in than if it was your idea. And that was something that I had a little bit of a, a tough time transitioning out because I was so used to planning everything, what we're doing for marketing, member events. Well, then I found out this member event that I loved. And when I was excelling it and telling all the members about it, we had a huge turnout. And then the, the rest of the team wasn't so excited. Now I'm removed and there was a lower turnout. And I realized I need them to pick events and and like just moment gatherings where they're going to hang out with the clients that they're excited about because then they'll sell it with more pizzazz. And then, and that's exactly what happened. So really picking my battles and just deciding what is the firm thing we cannot bend. We need this because this has been proven to be successful for our model. And what are some things that I'm going to operate from decentralized command and trust my team that the mission is we need to get the clients together. What we do, does it really matter if we go bowling or if we go to the park and we have a, a you know a potluck or we do a cornhole tournament in the gym? No, you know, and so I had to let go of those things that I did and let them pick those types of things because they would be more excited about it. So so hopefully that's you know the answers that you know you're looking for there, Matt. That's a, like those are those are great answers, even if you don't run a gym from a from another state. And that's just like a hallmark of of leadership. Right. So um, what I what I always say is like, this is who we are inside the circle. Be whoever you want to be inside the circle. Just do not go outside uh, that circle. And, uh, you know, as long as that happens, great things happen. Right. And just learning to pick your battles. I always say. I'm after the outcome and the feeling that we want to produce. I'm open to ideas of how do we get there, but I'm not going to relent on the outcome and the feeling that we want to produce, mm -hmm. right? Um, so like, as long as we get to that end outcome and the feeling that we want to produce, like I'm open to, to every single idea, but the minute that you no longer get the outcome or the feeling, and, and oftentimes that's when we're trying to be a little efficient, which oftentimes efficient means lazy, um, do less work. We tend to not get the outcome or the feeling that we're trying to produce um, when we just look at things as as tasks. All right, your another big business, which is turned into a massive business, which uh, is really awesome and it came out of the heart of wanting to serve other people, is gym reinforcements. So, just gives us like an insight. Why did you start gym reinforcements? Yeah, I. Oh, there's a lot of things we're talking about here. I'm I'm willing to trust and to test faster than most people, like trusting to move to another state and trusting my team is going to do a good job. And so one of the things I did way back before most people were doing it, I would say as early as 2016, is I was hiring 
remote employees to help me with things in my gym. And most gym owners struggle with this because they like the tangibility of someone physically in their gym. They're so used to seeing a front desk person at the front desk, a coach on the floor, a, you know, a janitor cleaning the gym. And it's so hard for them to get into that online space. And then you go to online companies and it's almost weird for them to get together, like Slack and Instagram and PayPal, like the whole team works remotely, like, and maybe they have a headquarters, but a lot of them don't because they don't want to take on that overhead. And so there's the two extremes. So what I explored back then was just the blend. I was like, I'll have blood and, you know, live people here in the gym, but I'm going to have some remote staff for things that you don't have to be here physically. And we started with just admin work, like just medial tasks, uh, running reports, paying bills, um, you know, just entering agreements, stuff that I didn't want my high cost team members to be doing. But what I eventually started to look at was we had a failing job position. And, and when I say failing, I just mean I set them up for failure. And that is somebody doing sales in a gym environment. I, I believe if you have an open gym kind of model, if you have like some offices, it might work. But if you have an open gym build out, it's really hard to have a salesperson on site during business hours when sessions are being coached. There's loud music playing. There's a coach yelling on the mic. There's a million people stopping at the desk saying, you got a minute. And so they just keep getting pulled out of their task. And I would come to them at the end of the day, you know, these team members and say, did you make your, your calls? Did you do your follow-up? Did you, did you text the new leads that came in? Oh, no, no. I got, you know, pulled this person need to change their card on file. You know, the coach's mic died. So I had to go on Amazon, order batteries. And they just got caught up with busy work or they procrastinated because they didn't love it. And they did like organization and admin work. And they would put that at the end of the day. Well, now your brain, brain juice is gone and it's getting no high quality of attention. So I said, okay, I, I don't like, I want every part of my business to be great. This business is lacking. And I went and I hired a dedicated sales rep. And I, and I, and I knew I want them to be working from home. They're going to have nice setup. They're going to have good lighting, good sound quality. They're going to have sales background where I often went for an admin background. And so when you ask an admin to do sales, they usually don't do it so well because they're just different personality types. And so I was like, I want sales background. Do they, have they sold fitness? It doesn't matter. I will teach them how to sell fitness. A salesperson could sell anything if they're a, sale, a natural salesperson. And so I, I went and I did it and it was a huge success. And I, the first month we had three X more trials in our, in our doors because someone could just focus on one task and they're not distracted because of the environment. And I went and told all my gym owner buddies, you guys got to do it, you got to do it. And the biggest hesitation I saw was the fact that just it was a remote person. They're like, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I like seeing them in the gym. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm a trailblazer. I'm I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to try things. It's helping my business. If you guys ever need, you know, a, a walkthrough of how to do it, I'm happy to help. And no one really took me up on it. And then COVID hit and everybody had to go remote, right? Now we're running remote, you know, workouts and we're doing remote check-ins and sales has to be remote. Now everyone's embracing the remote lifestyle because we were forced to. Now my phone started ringing a little bit more. Hey, we need to make some sales. We need people to buy online challenges because we're not going to be at our gym for months. And, and my team doesn't know how to do this. And so like we're struggling or I got people quitting that was my all-star salesperson. I, you know, do you got somebody? And so I just saw like most entrepreneurs opportunity that I could absolutely walk everybody one by one through it, or I could create a done for you service and just do it for you. And, and I've always been that hands-on guy. I'd rather be in your business, helping you, getting involved, getting my hands dirty, getting in there on my team, rather than 
just showing you and telling you because that's what the most of the gurus do you know and i, I do that I, I do give people advice but if there's one place that i get really passionate about it's the sales component because that is the entry point if that gets goofed up you never get to make an impact on that person's life and if they do get an amazing experience and they feel comforted and they feel like you connected with them you now have the opportunity to change that person's life but that is the fork in the road is that the follow-up and so not only is it that important for the impact reasons then also as a business we've heard the phrase the fortunes in the follow-up and most businesses especially gyms suck at follow-up they do one maybe two and they just give up and quit and most of the time, it's because the owner is doing follow-up when they are available, when they're free. They're like, when I'm done with this morning block, I'll hit some calls. Tonight, after I you know, put this, the kids uh, down with dinner, I'll make some calls. And so you're calling when you're available, not when your lead is available. And so that is not going to ever work out. So it's for both you know, those reasons. But the biggest thing, I think, was the, the reason it even became an opportunity was because the whole fitness industry embraced you know, the online, you know, uh, positions, and that we're also moving into a world where people are more and more comfortable with working from home and hiring people who are working from home. So uh, yeah, the, those are all the reasons. That I think that's honestly like a, a good lesson here, though, too, is a lot of the gold is in the pain, right? Like people are ready to buy when they're in pain. So you saw a massive pain point that gym owners were having. And honestly, this is one of the, the biggest pain points because we see it all the time of just people aren't doing follow-up or they do it when they're motivated or they, they do it like, oh my God, sales are down. I need to now follow up with leads versus what if you just followed up with the leads all the time and had people that were specialized in doing that. I really believe that lead follow-up is a specialized position and getting the right person to do it. That's doing it all the time at the times that people are actually available and, and want to talk, uh, I think is really, really important when we try to get people to um, kind of butcher that position and just put whoever there it doesn't work. And then the owner typically does a great job at it when they do it. And they, they did it consistently when they first started, when they were hungry and motivated and I need to pay my bills or, or I'm going to go out of business. And I just took on all this debt. So they, they do it. But then the the hunger and the consistency starts to to dissipate, right? Like yes. it took me about three or four months of in business where I was like, I need somebody else to take a phone call. I need somebody else to answer an email. I need somebody else, which then actually allows me to go do other activities to to sell, to get that phone ringing, to, to get the emails coming in, uh, to to get people posting on social media, right? Like that's really where an owner should be spending a lot of their time is on the, the marketing to get the phone to ring and to get people interested in your product. But I find that people don't do either of those, which is, which is a massive struggle. Right. Yes. And then the other thing is when you know, you're supposed to be doing something and you're not doing it, like the, the mental state that that puts you in is, is a bad mental state. Now you're running your business in a, in a bad mental state. Cause you know, you're supposed to be doing it. You know, you should be doing it but you're not doing it, that just continues to lower your self-confidence or your team knows you're being inconsistent. And then you start losing the trust of your team because they see you're being inconsistent at the activities that you're supposed to be doing, which is not good for business, right? Um, let's move on to the, the next thing. Uh, what are some practical things you could share with our gym owners after running gym reinforcements and helping so many gyms? Yeah, I think it's it goes with what you talked about. And I know we'll probably dive into my pro wrestling background later, but uh, everybody taps 
it's just a matter and it's not a matter of uh if it's when and so what they teach you in wrestling is um you know tap once you learn the lesson tap is it worth getting choked out and passing out and you know dying no everybody taps like you said for you it was three months and and you know i had my time and other gym owners have their time everybody taps because this is not why you open the gym nobody opened the gym to do follow-up that is not what we signed up for there's things that must be done did you sign up to clean toilets like no there was something you wanted you just knew there was other painful tasks that went with it and you're willing to pay that price and all entrepreneurs are so tap out quicker it's not worth getting blacked out. It's not worth dying over because of your ego. Tap out on cleaning the toilet. Tap out on doing the follow-up. Tap out on anything that you don't love doing and spend your time on what you do want to do. So what we find is the people who do work with gym reinforcement are successful. They're, they're willing to tap out. They've had enough. They're fine. But they're also coachable and, and they're not controlling. Because it's it, for us, it gets a little bit of a tug of war if they're like, I'm done. I tap out and I'm going to tell you how to do it. It's like, no, no, you need to let go of that. You obviously weren't good at it. You don't have a system. You need to let us do what we do best. So, you know, the, the, besides tapping out and just dropping that ego, the next thing is to completely just release control, which is tough for control freaks, but we want to build trust. We have, you know, a, a way that we systematically do that, the owners, but we need it back. We need you to trust us. And in fact, it's become a qualifying thing now when we bring in we're talking to an owner we're, we're shopping you as much as you're shopping us if we get any hint that you're a micromanager and there's no trust we will actually not sell you gr services because we need it that much to do our job well and we've seen it where we got in and owners like i want you to do all my follow-up i'm done with this but actually you're only going to contact my leads from two years ago and we're like but your hottest leads are the people coming in on your ads those are the people we're going to sell for sure then we'll clean up some extras and so they started releasing access or like giving us some access. And we're like, all right, there's no trust. We're actually canceling on you. Like we're revoking service. So they're coachable. They're, they're ready to tap out. They're going to release control. The next one that kind of goes with all this is they know the value of their time and they know what follow-up lies, you know, on the cost per hour scale. And we've all heard it. It's under even 20 bucks an hour. You should not be doing it. Is that what any successful business owner is is valued at $20 an hour. No. So this is definitely an under $20 an hour role. It's under a $15 an hour role. And that's kind of what we get it priced at for gym owners. Um, and so know the value of time. If you can go make three, five X that with that same hour, you need to get rid of it. Um, and so that that's definitely a tough lesson for a lot of, of you know gym owners and business owners to learn. And then the final thing is they have to be selling mid to high ticket programs. Whenever we came in and we sold really low price stuff, it, we just can't sell enough volume to, to, to make the owner happy. You know, like when you're saying, I want to sell a dollar a day program or a $40 program, like we're just, we're not going to, we're not going to make you happy. We could sell a hundred of them and you still won't be happy. So, and you're not going to convert very many of them. So it's just like the wrong model to even start with. So that's, again, another thing we're looking at when we're talking to somebody is what do you charge? Because it, is it enough for us to want to say yes? And if it's too low, we're going to say no. So it, it, that's something that I'd say we evolved into in the last six to eight months is really getting clear on who we serve best and who we don't fit for and being okay saying no to some people. We can't help everybody just like in my gym. I can't help everybody. Um, but I know the more clear you can get on who your ideal customer is, the better you can find that. And, you know, the final thing I'll say is that 
none of us in business should be looking to date. We should be looking to get married, right? And so I can speed date customers and find gym owners all day and sign them up and lose them and sign them up and lose them. I want someone that's going to stay married and we're going to be working together for years. And so I'm out. I'd say like, we're looking for gym owners to put a ring on it, right? I want to marry these people. I'm not looking for a one night stand. I'm not looking to just go out to the movies. And so that takes longer, right? Just like in a real relationship. So that that's another, you know, characteristic I'd say that I see with the best customers that use GR, uh, what, what type of traits and characteristics they have. Hey guys, it's Dustin with the Fitness Empire and I wanted to share with you an exciting opportunity. All right, myself and Matt Wilbur, we are putting together a Fitness Empire mentorship. So what is this exactly? This is for gym owners who want guidance, coaching and mentorship to get them to the next level of business growth, all right? Now, this is only for people who are actually interested in creating transformation in their clients and in their community, okay? If you're just sales driven and marketing driven, we are not about that. We do give you strategies and tactics, but we want to solve the deep rooted issues within every fitness business that will lead it to be a generational business, meaning it'll be around for decades to come. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, then I wanna encourage you to join the Fitness Empire mentorship. And so what you wanna do is you wanna to go to yourfitnessempire.com, read all about the mentorship. And if it sounds like something that speaks to you, then I encourage you to sign up because enrollment is open now. This is not something that we are actively allowing enrollment all year round. We have specific periods where you can join the program. So if that is something that you wanna join because you need that help, you want to learn from people who have 30 years of combined experience and over a dozen operating gyms, uh, then I wanna encourage you to come in and work with us. So go to that link, yourfitnessempire.com and check out to learn more about the program. Let's get back to the podcast. And I'm sure that came from pain of working with the wrong customers and, and oh, just yeah. trying to get sales, right? And, and learning from that. So a lot of golden nuggets in there that you can apply to your business and, and anything. And the other thing when we talk about clients too is, you know, not all clients are meant to be inside of your business. Some people are not culture fits. Some people are driving your your, your team crazy. And they're also driving your, your other customers uh, crazy. And, and one of the best things you can do sometimes is just let them go. Um, I know it hurts to to turn away sales, but um, there was sometimes the best thing you can do is actually to say no to some people. And then the other thing to look at when people look at making an investment, I find a lot of people look at the cost, how much how much is it a month versus what is it actually costing me not to do it? What's it costing me in time? What's it costing me in energy? And then what is it actually costing my business? Because now I'm doing the 15 to $20 hour task versus the hundred dollar an hour tasks or figuring out how to, you know, get the phones to ring even more and, and be able to put out the content uh, yeah. and, or provide a better experience to my clients so they can increase referrals or be able to go, how do we increase the lifetime value of our customers? Like having higher level, better discussions uh, because you know that that's being taken care of in your business, uh, which is massively, massively important. Now we're moving on from your business where you're at today. Just give us a little insight on on your awesome family. Uh, we won't talk about it too long, but I uh, just love learning about people's families. I obviously know your family, but listeners may not. Yeah. Um, so I'll even share a little bit of my my like family history. So um, my I, I got a unique blend. My dad's side of the family 
very Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, European, white, um, Christian, and then my mom, Middle Eastern um, and Jewish. And so like when I grew up, we alternate. I had a Christmas and then Hanukkah, Christmas and Hanukkah. And so uh, that's kind of like we talk about blended families so much this, this these days. I had a religious blended family, right? So, um, but my mom definitely poured more of her history and family background in us than my dad. So I just know more about my mom's side. So what happened was um, her parents, my grandparents, were living in Egypt in the 60s. And most people don't know this little part of history. We all know what happened in World War II to the Jewish you know, culture and community. But what they don't know is just 20 years later in, in Egypt, it was happening to them again. They were being blamed for the economy being downturned. And so the Egyptian government said, all Jews, you got to get out of Egypt. So here are these poor people being kicked out again and being blamed. And you can only take what you can fit in a suitcase. Everything else is now Egyptian government property. And so they had to pack up whatever they could fit, just clothes, really. And they fled to France and they knew the long term goals were getting to to America because we're, we're just sick of all this, you know, uh, how we're being treated in other countries. They fl fled to France. My mom was born in Versailles. They hop on a boat and they even have they were on the front cover of the newspaper. They landed at Ellis Island on a boat and they were one of the people that got their picture taken. And they have the newspaper clipping of like, you know, immigrants arriving in America. There's my my mom as a little girl and her parents. They then drive to California. They hear the, you know, the land of opportunity and, you know, the Golden Coast. And what they end up doing there is uh, opening up swap meets. And so they're literally just hustling. They're buying and selling things. So I think some of my salesmanship came from that. My dad, my grandpa swap, selling wallets, hats, shoes, whatever he could find, you know, you know, they would just literally find stuff and they would and they would flip it. So it's like original OG flippers and they're at swap meets. And they're struggling, man. They're broke. And, and my mom tells me often about the stuff they didn't grow up with. So like that is like my roots, my upbringing. Um, and so then, you know, I grow up and uh, watch my mom be the be the balancer of the check. Like my dad would bring all money, but he would be going and blowing at the bar and just doing, doing dumb stuff with it. She was always the responsible one, saving some, paying the bills, making sure we had, you know, new clothes for school. Like she would be that you know the check balancer but what i i learned from her is that work is holy i i think in 10 years i saw my mom call off once she's just a machine she just never called out she never missed she was so grateful when she heard all the struggles of what my family went through coming from egypt running a swap meet um and and just kind of like now she had this amazing opportunity when she got a good paying job at a, at a good steady company she was a bus driver for a while. Then she went up and she, uh, you know, made great money as at the post office. Whenever they offered overtime, double time, she was there. She was on time. She was happy as a clam because she knew that this is the best thing I could do for myself and my family is to work. Work is holy. This is a blessing. I will never turn down work. If they have it open, I'll take it. And so now today she moved out here with us to Texas. And she retired and she's, you know, just like living her best life because of those years that she put it in. And I was bringing that earlier, those eras where, you're, you know, when, when is the right time to learn? When is the right time to earn? And when is the right time to multiply? And then, you know, hopefully at some point, enjoy the fruits of your labor. She's definitely there. But I grew up watching that. And so I definitely know that that's a lesson that I learned from her. And so now, 
you know, what's my home life? Like I, I'm married, you know, I, I'm grateful that Mary Beth has joined in the business, you know, that we, we run and she's like my right-hand woman and where we balance each other out wonderfully. She's the operations and admin and detail. And then I'm the visionary type guy. I'm thinking big ideas, big relationships. So we work really well together. We do make a good team. And then, you know, with our two kids, Logan and Chloe, our job is to prepare them for the world. And I definitely don't want to pressure on them to be entrepreneurs that kind of even skip the generation. Like my grandparents are swap meet. So that's like being an entrepreneur and a hustler. Then my mom was very much like safety. I want a job. And then here I am being one. So I don't know if it's going to skip them or if it's going to go down with them, but either way I will support them. And, and, you know, like they're definitely very animated characters. If anybody wants to see them in, in the wild, follow me on Instagram, you'll at least once or twice a week, you'll see a crazy video of them in action. But um, that's kind of like, my world now, my life now. And, you know, honestly, the, the a part that kind of connects this is we talked earlier about me moving to Texas. It was for them. Like there wasn't for me. I had friends, I had family, I had roots, I had my business. A hundred percent of the decision I made to, to make the call and come out here was for them. The area we lived in had really low schools. It had two and three ratings. We moved to an area where they got nines and tens. Um, we got triple the house size for what we would have got where we lived. And I just know they're gonna grow up in a great environment. Dallas, Texas, we're kind of where the area we live. It's very entrepreneurial. Uh, your money goes a lot way. There's good schools. And so, you know, now I, just like my mom did for like, my grandparents came here to kind of allow us that opportunity. My mom hustled her face off for me to have an opportunity. And now I'm passing it down. And that's the goal is every generation getting better and, and you know, and and just smarter. and uh, just hopefully generational wealth and health being passed down. Right. So that, that's kind of where I'm at family wise. That that's, that's freaking awesome. I love that. When you were describing your mom, I'm like, that that's you, man. You are definitely a massive, massive action taker and, and ready to go. Like any opportunity that comes, you are uh, you're like, let's go. Right. Um, which is, which is awesome. Um, what one of the things when I when when I work with a lot of gym owners is is the the balance at home right like they a lot lot struggle definitely a lot of male business owners like wives struggle with um, their commitment to their to their gyms um, but how do you balance it all obviously now now your wife works with you which is which is a blessing my wife works with me as well um, but how do you how do you balance it all of wanting to be super successful, obviously with your with your businesses, but also being uh, successful at home? Yeah, it's tough, man. I'm sure every entrepreneur will tell you that. But I know what helps me is I plan family time like I plan business time. I'm super on time for a team meeting or a podcast interview and I'll be there and I'll be in front of my computer. I'm ready to go. And then it's very easy for me to want to keep working and then kind of kick off the family stuff. And so I put it on the calendar. I have literally like a blocked out section for date night. I have a blocked out coffee date with my daughter every Saturday. We go get coffee where she even knows. She's like, where are we going to go for coffee tomorrow, dad? And the family works better off a of structure. I run my household like I run a business. We have our supplies on subscribe and save. I'm walking around. I'm picking apart my own house and calling contractors to come clean it like it's a gym, like I run it like a business. I run my my family like I run my team. I do better like that. And they do better, honestly. When I'm kind of loose and I let them stay up late, the next day is hell. And if I had, you know, the the them in a drawer where they have unlimited stuff, 
they will they will destroy it. There's been times I've been on a podcast and I go outside and I find rappers all over the floor and they found a stash of food and they just destroyed it. So, you know, it is tough because if me and Mary Beth are working at the same time. So we got to communicate. We have to know when is one working? Can the other watch the kids? But when you are, you're all in. You're not trying to half work and half play with them. You got to give them your full attention. My kids will absolutely demand it. Anytime I've even checked the phone, they're like, dad, you're not watching. They'll call me out on it. What are you doing? Get off the phone. And, you know, sometimes it's even hit me in the gut where they're like, um, do I get you, you know, to myself or are you going to be checking your phone? And I, this is an eight-year-old saying things like this, you know, um, I took my son out on our boat last summer and we were just out there fishing and he was like, my favorite part of today, dad, is it's just you and me and, I, and we don't, and you're not checking your phone. And I was like, oh man, like that's the punch in the gut that I needed, you know, like, because I, I think as a very driven entrepreneurial male, the best way I show my love is money, make them more money. And I can take them to do better experiences. They don't give a rat's ass. I've bought my kids toys that they haven't even touched this last Christmas. Um, there's, there's things that they, they don't need any stuff. Like they're very time, uh, you know, quality time driven. So that, that to me is what I really focus in on doing when I'm with them is giving them quality time and just turning off notifications, turning off work and being all in family, man. And then when I'm working, I'm all in business, man. So really just being in the moment is one of the best ways to balance that. That's, that's freaking gold. What I heard is be where your feet are, right? Like wherever your feet are, that that's where you're at, at the moment, trying to be in two places at once doesn't work. You're not going to be effective on the business side. And then you're obviously not being effective uh, with your family at that time, which I can attest to that. The other thing is just setting proper expectations too, because a lot of, it comes down to communication, right? So if, if you know that, Hey, from this time to time, I'm on, I got my business hat on pretty much leave me alone unless there's an emergency and something crazy is going on. Like I'm not accessible. Like yeah, I'm, I'm businessman at this time. But then when I, when, if they know that, Hey, dad hat's coming on at this time and you actually do what you say you're going to do, then it's fine. Then there's not going to be issues of your spouse bugging you while, while you're at work because you've already set clear expectations. And one of the things that I tell my wife is, Whatever you need, and this sounds bad to a lot of people, but it's just real life. Like whatever your expectations are, I will meet them. I will probably not exceed them. I will meet them. So make sure you let me know what you need from me to to, to meet those expectations and make it really clear to me because I do not have a magic crystal ball to know what you are thinking. I have no idea what you were thinking, actually. And to be truthful, I'm not thinking about what you're thinking all day long. I am thinking about how to make an impact on this freaking world, right? That is what I'm thinking about all day long. I'm not even thinking about my family until I walk in the door and, and have to think about it. Um, but to me, it's a superpower because when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at home, I do my very best to be at home. And there's times that pretty much seven to eight o'clock for my son, he gets me. Like I tell like in, in between that, I'm like, seven o'clock, right? You get a hundred percent of me for an hour at night. He gets my attention in the morning, but it's just setting clear boundaries and, and clear expectations. I think really, really helps with that. Right. All right. Rapid fire a little bit. Where were you born? Rialto, California. Okay. Um, so what, what were like some maybe um, most profound things or lessons that, that happened in your childhood that kind of carry on with you today or if, maybe molded who you are today? 
Uh, yeah, I would definitely say what I shared earlier was, you know, work is holy, seeing that with my mom. The other one that I didn't learn until later, but I needed to kind of have those memories from childhood is that money is neutral. Uh, you give it meaning. It's just a thing like a cup or a keyboard. We give it meaning, right? We give it power. And so one of the things that I would say helped me have more of a positive outlook, I first had to see a negative outlook with money. And, you know, I just spoke about how highly I think of my mom. Well, this was something that I think uh, didn't serve me and I had to get rid of it. And so she would often talk about money in a bad or negative light. She would say she'd watch TV and she'd be watching Oprah and there'd be some you know, famous person, Arnold Schwarzenegger, someone with a bunch of money. And she would even, I remember her, even the way she'd say, it's disgusting how much money these people have. Like, you know, like it's disgusting the cars they drive in the houses. So like, if I'm disgusted by them, then how could I achieve what they have? Right. And that's something as I went through my self-development journey, I had to let go of those things. I heard in my household, money's not growing on trees. What do you think of? I made money. Do you know how much money that costs? Uh, every single phrase you guys can think of was often repeated in my house. And I had to go through my own self-development journey and get rid of those so that I can have a positive relationship with money and be a conduit of money and attract it and, and help it multiply and give it to other people and, you know, my team. And so uh, that was definitely a, a big learning lesson as well. The third and final one I would share with you on that, Matt, is uh, the world needs more positivity. I, I really believe the default setting of people who are in, in a higher power is negativity. And so that's the news, that's the government, that's a lot of world leaders. And that that's just their default. It's, it's a culture and then it's gonna take really long time to undo. I know there's a lot of good people that are moving into those spaces to make a change, but you cannot change good culture to bad overnight and you can't change bad to good overnight. And so it's just, it's gonna take decades, you know, to change it, to be more in a positive light. But you guys can choose to give it energy. And the more you cut off the energy, the faster they will move. The, if we click on negative things on social media, if we buy the newspapers and the magazines with the negative headlines, um, we are signaling to them we're interested in that stuff. And so I only follow uh, news channels on my social media that are about positive, you know, like there's one called positive news and like, you know, th things that are just sharing like, how about how many animals we save from the endangered species? And instead of telling me how many are on the endangered species, telling me about diseases that are cured rather than telling me about all the diseases that are not cured, uh, about people, someone's a good Samaritan saving someone's life rather than telling me three people were murdered last night in downtown. And so we can, well, this is the first time I believe in history, we can actually really protect to a high degree what inputs we get and the signals we give these people. So I'd say that's the other thing is that I grew up around a lot of negative negativity and people would always comment, you're so positive, you're so optimistic. And they almost made it sound like it's a bad thing. And I quickly realized that's the default setting for most of the world. And that's why I do seem like a, an abnormal person where, guys, we need to make that the normal. Like a positive person should not be positive. They should just be a person. We shouldn't say, wow, you're really positive. We just say like, oh, you're normal. You're just a person. But that that's how default negativity is that positive people stand out. So th those are those are my big three. Yeah, I always say inputs equal your outputs and being intentional about what your inputs are. Obviously, if you're listening to this, hopefully we're we're spreading you some some positivity. But a lot of people are like, man, my newsfeed is just so full of negativity. They show you what you engage in. So whatever you're engaging in, whatever you're viewing, whatever you're looking at, 
you know, if you're looking at a post for 10 seconds, Facebook, Instagram, and the world goes, oh, he must be interested in this type of content. And you're going to start seeing more of that. So if you don't want to be seeing that, don't be engaging in it and, and don't take part in that, but just start getting intentional about auditing your inputs. What are you listening to? Who are you hanging out with? What are you watching? What are you reading? Right. And just being super intentional about doing that because that influences your thoughts, that influences your beliefs, that influences how you feel. And, and ultimately it's going to influence your actions. Um, and you are a hundred percent in control of that. And then the last thing that I think was important is, you know, when you get to interview me, we'll talk about some of the same things, but you have to unprogram what you were programmed as a child, especially typically when it comes to money. I remember when I first opened my first location and we were doing $12,000 a month in EFT and uh, like we just opened and, you know, I thought that was cool. Like now it's obviously um, it's funny to think that was like a big number, but I went to dinner with my brother and my mom and I told her we were doing $12,000 in EFT and she goes, nobody should make that kind of money. <laughs> right. And then that one location a year later was doing a million dollars a year um, after hearing that nobody should make that kind of money. But those are the thoughts that that were programmed. You have to be very intentional about unprogramming those things as, as you go through life. But the problem is a lot of people just repeat the cycle and then they say the same things to their kids. And then that be the one that ends that cycle when it comes to money and your relationship with money. It's no different than your relationship with anything else, right? Like people struggling with losing weight, they need to change their relationship with food. If you're struggling with money, you need to change your relationship with money. All right. How did you become a personal trainer? How did you get into the fitness industry? Yeah. So uh, in high school, I was super introverted, which is funny for a lot of people to hear because I'm like always on podcast. I don't believe you. Yeah. I literally, I remember I was like just a video game nerd. I was overweight. I had this magazine I subscribed to Nintendo Power and I would stand in a corner alone with literally my back to all the teenagers at high school. Like I was so socially awkward. I didn't even want to have my eyes looking towards them. So I turned my back and I'd read this. And uh, one day someone tapped me on the shoulder like, hey man, you know, like we see you sitting, stand here all alone all the time. You want to come sit with us and have lunch? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, cause I just didn't know what I would talk about. And so I went back to just reading my magazine, but a different friend came and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Hey man, after school, I'm going to be going to the gym. And, you know, I see you eat lunch alone. I would love to have you come hang out with me and come to the gym. And so that was like one of these big key fork in the road moments. And so that, that to me, for some reason, wasn't intimidating. Like, cause I guess I was thinking, we're not going to talk. We're just going to lift. So like my introvert itself was more open to that. So we go to the gym and we start lifting and I just got my first pump. And that was like a drug addict hitting their first hit of cocaine. Like I felt amazing. And I was like, oh, my God, this feels so good. I don't know. My form was right. It was just the blood flow. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. the endorphins. I just got hooked on that feeling. And so I started going and I'd even change my diet. My diet in high school was crap. I was eating a half a bag of Oreos. I would go to Subway and I would get two footlongs. Most people get one. Like I could put down some food, dude. I would do a foot long double uh -huh. turkey and a meatball right after. Like I'm putting down thousands of calories. I'd always get size candy. I would never get regular size. Like I was wolfing down calories like a beast. And I'm sure there was like some emotional distress behind that. But when I, I started lifting, I was losing weight while I was eating crap. And it's because when you're in high school, you know, your hormones are through the roof. You got testosterone raging. And so even with a crappy diet, I was losing weight. 
So then I started seeing some shape come to me and some muscle definition. And I was like, man, this is really cool. If I could get my nutrition dialed in, I'll even get better results. And so then I dialed that in. And I, so I lost 30 pounds just, for, I was 260 pounds. I lost 30 pounds just from adding in movement, no diet changes. Then I dialed in my nutrition. I lost another 30 pounds. And so I lost a total of 60 pounds of body fat. At that moment, I was looking really fit. And I said, this is the ultimate gift I've ever given myself. And I want to give this gift to every single person I encounter. You know, like I want to spread this message like nobody's business because my life, it was like someone literally got rid of foggy beer goggles and put on HD glasses. Like literally, I remember my vision even getting better. My my skin cleared up. I had acne because I was a teenager eating fast food. I had tons of acne. It went away. Uh, my confidence came up. I was happy to see myself in the mirror. Now I saw myself talking to ladies and I was like, this is really transformative. Like this, just this little thing that you do every day, just work out and try to eat better. My whole life got better from it. And so I said, I this is the best thing I can give people ever. And I have to get as many people hooked on this drug as possible. So that was when I decided to get uh, certified as a trainer. And I actually went through it with a buddy. We both, he, he ended up not continuing on, but I went on to, you know, obviously have a longer career in fitness. So that, that was the entry point, Matt, that day that I got invited to the gym started it all. That is, that is amazing. Uh, what, what changed like maybe mentally? Cause that for me, it's like one of the things why I work out every day is just the, the mental aspect, like yes. going from being a gamer, eating a bunch of junk, not moving your body to, to now moving your body. Obviously you talked about the self-confidence and, and all that, but did you start seeing some significant changes in like uh, your happiness and, and things like that? Oh yeah. Like I definitely think I became a little bit more lively. Like I, people would even say I was a class clown near the end. Like I would started talking and joking with people and coming out of my shell, you know, you couple this with what I was doing, stretching my comfort zone, learning pro wrestling. And that's where, you know, I was really starting to grow just as an individual, but I would say like you, like I definitely started finding a lot of that mental value later. I was definitely chasing the cosmetics in the beginning and it was all about just feeling good, working out. I don't think I had a lot of mental anguish that I was like, I, I was always very happy and, and optimistic and friendly. If someone talked to me, I would definitely be able to talk with them, but I would never take the first step and go and engage. So I, I think that that came later, like as I grew up and more of life kind of piles on you, you start getting bills, you start having more complications in relationships. You're not just goofing off with friends anymore. Um, you know, people start having, you know, life troubles, you start having more responsibilities, you know, then you, you know, you open a business, then I was like, I need that mental, you know, kind of release behind it, not just the physical. So it, it came later, I definitely know there was some, but for me, it was definitely a lot more of that physical in the first, I'd say three to five years. I think one of the, the big uniques for you is your background in wrestling and, and kind of how you've carried that into uh, how you run your business and maybe even a little bit of your persona and how you create and how you, uh, you know, entertain. So what, what influences have, have wrestling had on your fitness business? Pro wrestling, like in addition to being a gamer, I'd tune into Monday Night Raw and I would watch WCW and WWF and I'd watch these big larger than life guys that I quickly later realized were on steroids at the time. You don't know. You think you can go to the gym and just get fit like these, these big jack guys. Then you realize what's true you know that you can get without peds right so uh that 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 was something i had to learn later on but that same friend who invited me to the gym he, he had a lot of impact on me he also 
uh, invited me to come hang out at his house. And so what I quickly found out the first time I walked in is he had an actual pro wrestling ring in his backyard because his dad was a contractor and he said he had dreams of being a pro wrestler, him, him and his brothers. And so they asked their dad to build them a legitimate pro wrestling ring. And so he did it because he was the figured I'd rather my kids are in my backyard where I can keep an eye on them rather than they're getting into gangs, they're getting into drugs and they're doing dumb stuff. So he, he literally chose to build them a pro wrestling ring, which is crazy. Not most dads would do that for their for their kids. And so those friends, uh, if you guys are into wrestling, are the Young Bucks from All Elite Wrestling. I have their action figures. They are now world famous seven figure earners with many hundreds of thousands of followers but they are my good buddies and so um you know basically what what I what I started to do is I said hey I sat here and watched your show you guys kind of hear it in me I'm not a person that likes to watch I like to be involved I was like I want to train to be a wrestler I want to be in the show the next show you guys are running I want to be you know in the ring and they said every day after school come here and we're going to we're going to train and so I did and we we trained and trained and trained to what we knew. You know, we were just basically what used to be called like backyarders. We were just wrestling in our backyard. We were not properly trained. Later on, two, three years later, we would go to an actual school and get properly trained. So when, you know, we were doing this, there's a few things that I learned. Number one, give your all every single day. And I know it's very generic, but most people don't. They, they don't give it every day. When they feel good, they give it. And when they don't feel good, they, they don't. They bring 50%. I remember working eight to 10 hour days as a construction worker, literally like sledgehammering driveways is something I did for a period of time. I think it was like a good six or seven years of my life. And after eight hours to 10 hours of labor work, we would go out and we would flyer all the parking lots of the area we were running wrestling shows. And we would go put one flyer at a time in the Target and the Walmart and because we wanted to get the word out and there was no social media, there was no digital ads. You just had to hustle. And we would always just buy a box of five to 10,000 flyers. And we would get maybe a hundred to 200 people to show up to our shows, you know, when we were running like pro shows. So it's like, think about that ROI on your time and money, like awful, right? Like just completely awful. But I brought it every single day, high, high energy. You go watch them, go watch a young bucks match. I've never seen them mail it in. I've never seen them give 10%. I've never seen them dial it back. And I even heard it in that world where people would look out behind the curtain. They would see how many people were there. Then they would judge how, how hard they wanted to go in the match. And they'd say, oh, there's only, there's only 10 people out there. I'm not going to go very hard. And then they're like, it's a full house. We're going balls out. I never even bothered looking at the curtain. I planned the same Balls out match, no matter what, because that is my work ethic. And that's the a lesson that I learned again in the pro wrestling world. Um, and then the, the second one is uh, not to take opportunities for granted. Um, a, a lot of people, they would they would get booked for a show and I would be surprised. Sometimes they would even no show. They, they would have to find a replacement because they heard that, you know, hey, that show is not going to have that many people. Um, and so I'm very allergic to egos. I joke with my team. I'll literally, if you hear me coughing and sneezing, somebody's got an ego in the room, you know? And, and so it's like, I, I just can't stand that. That's one of my pet peeves. I don't like hanging out with people who have an ego. 
And so these guys had egos like, I don't want that show. They don't get a very big crowd. Um, I don't want that show. They don't pay a lot. I went and wrestled a Lucha Libre show where they gave you hot dogs and nachos as your payment. No dollars, you know, like, so I lost money between gas and, you know, all the other stuff. And, and so they just paid you with food, but like that, that's where you, you build those skills and those work at. And that, that's what I say when you're, you're teenage and you're 20 years, you should be doing all that crap. You should be building your skills and your character traits and just saying, I'm not a quitter. I will be there, whether it's a hot dog, $10 or $50. I'm consistent. I work hard. If there's 10 people in the crowd or a thousand, these are the things that will serve you later in life. When you're presented a big opportunity, it's going to shine on who you are as a person. And so you're going to find people will stop giving you opportunities or not think of you at the top of their head because of who you are. And those tough times are the things that build you to be the person of the future. Right. So those are some things that, again, it sucked. But I look back at it. It was a blast. I never in that moment, you would have never said, you know, man, you look unhappy. This looks like it sucks. Do you want to quit? I was having the time of my life. But most people wouldn't look at those things as that. They would say, like I hear, you know, a lot today you're not paying enough. Um, that's too many hours. Um, I, I, I want to make more, you know, at a very young age. Uh, that sounds like a lot of work. These are the phrases that are being thrown around a lot. And so it, it really breaks my heart because we got to get back to that old school, not afraid of putting in a good day of hard work type of mindset, because that's what America was built off of. So I'm really worried about, you know, the good, a good amount of the labor force is not thinking like that, what's going to happen to our country, right? You know, a lot of what's in it for me today and, and a few things. So one of our core values at, at our locations every day is game day. And it's that mentality, right? I don't care one person's here, 10 people are here, or 60 people's here. Like our job is to to put on a show um, because that's how, like, if you don't have a lot of people in your gym right now and you're, you're mailing in, you're not going to get a big gym. You get a big gym by when you have 10, you put on a freaking show and then they tell their friends, um, like your, your clients will be talking if there's days that you mail it in, like they know if you're mailing it in and how does that make them feel? Uh, it's not going to make them feel great and go tell all their friends that this place is amazing. What, what will give you your reputation is every day. It doesn't matter who's working, who's on, what time it is, how many people are in session. They always bring it. That's the reputation that you want to have. The other thing I, I train my team on too is Every day is an opportunity because you don't know who is walking through that door. I got to imagine there's many people that were found in the wrestling industry from these small shows because of how they showed up. Imagine if one day the biggest executive that you don't even know inside of WWE or WWF or whatever the, the wrestling promotions were at the time was in the audience and you didn't even realize it and you had that opportunity to show them what you had and show them your character and show them who you were and, and you miss that opportunity. And the truth is every speech you give, you don't know who's in the audience. Every person that walks through your door, you don't know who they know. You are one person and one opportunity away from changing your life. And, and the way you get that opportunity is you show up every single day and, and you give your best. Uh, so the team, Maybe they see right now, maybe they don't want to see themselves in fitness long-term, but I'm like, even if you don't want to be here forever, realize that your next opportunity is walking through that every door, every day they're walking through that door and they are judging you. Like, mm -hmm. and two, like, I always say, you got one last name, that's it. One last name. And what do you want it to, to, to represent? And, and that's why I love working with you is because we're, we're on such the same bandwidth. And I feel like we have so many 
the same like learning lessons, but like every time somebody asks me to speak, I'm going to give them my best because that's what they deserve. Every time I run a session, I'm going to give my best. Every time I do a podcast, I'm going to give my best. Right. And then you just never know. like, we don't know who's listening to this right now and yeah. what door and what opportunity that might open up for us down the road. But that's the mentality that you have to have. And that's how you get ahead in life. Not when, you know, you, everybody can do a good show in front of 60 people, but can you do a good show every single day? Uh, that is the differentiator between being good and being absolutely, you know, phenomenal. Let's talk about how you got, so you, you were in the wrestling industry. How did you actually, what was your first start in the fitness industry? Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, I lived in an area called the high desert. So you guys, if you know me, I, I love puns. And so my first business I started was in-home personal training called high desert, low fat personal training. So, uh -huh. But uh, I would go to people's houses. And so again, dude, think of all this piled up on each other during the day. I did construction. My buddy, that's the, the dad that built the, 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 you know, the backyard ring. I got a job with him. Then at night, I would take on personal training clients and go to their home or I'd go out flyering with my my, you know, my buddies. Um, and so that's like what my day looked like. And so that's my work week. Then I'm a weekend warrior on the weekends doing wrestling shows because they're typical on Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Friday. And so that's like my work week packed out seven days a week. I was in learning mode, learning. I didn't care how much I was earning. Most of the time I was losing money, but I was in learning mode and building myself and my character. And so I was double dipping, right? I'm in wrestling, I'm in fitness, wrestling and fitness. And so eventually I I know in most sports, it's a young man's game. And I put this, this deadline on myself. I said, if I don't have a big contract in wrestling by the, the you know, my 28th birthday, I'm going to go into pivot to something else because it, it is very much a young man's game. If you don't make it at a certain point, it, it just gets harder and harder. There's Popular stories, like, you know, if you guys are into wrestling, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, he didn't get in until he was 40, but he's literally like one of the only people I can think of that did it at an older advanced stage. Most of the guys that get to those big leagues did it in their 20s or 30s. So I just said 28 is the number. And so although I loved it, I also felt like there was this resistance that I couldn't describe that, you know, you brought this up. You never know who's in the, in the uh, audience. Well, at one show this Japanese promoter was there scouting talent. And he asked my buddies, the young bucks to go on a Japanese tour because of that show. And that show didn't have a lot of people. There was like 150 people. Um, but I didn't get opportunities like that. They didn't come to me. And so I just started like really having these doubts, like maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe my character isn't that memorable. Maybe I'm not putting on as good of a match as other people. And honestly, I just suffered from a lot of self-doubt and critique. And although I felt like I was in the best shape of my life, in wrestling, they had at that time these forums where people would write reviews of matches or write about wrestlers and they'd have wrestling forums. And there was people always talking smack about me. They're like, uh, if only he got more fit. You know, he's got a little bit of flab. He really needs to cut up his midsection if he wants to make it to the big leagues. And so the more pressure I was just feeling that, you know, I'm not athletic enough and I'm going to have to get on steroids. This I, I'm just not going to be a good fit for this industry. And I just started feeling all this pressure about my body and about my physical ability. And then I put pressure on myself saying by 28, if I don't have a big you know, contract, I'm gone. And there's just all this resistance. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm grinding my face off. And then in fitness, I just threw up like a post on Craigslist and I'd get six phone calls that night for people wanting to work with a trainer. And then I, I bought my first house with my wife 
and I opened small group training in my three car garage and I completely packed it out. I was at 40, 50 clients in my garage. And then I said to myself, if I open a gym, we'll go to the next level. Open a gym. We get to 100 clients in under six months. And then I go open a second and a third. And it just felt like that was my path because it was so much more easier. Like there was, again, what they want to call it divine power, God, the universe. Something was telling me, you're not meant to do this, Dustin. And then when I got in this, it said, welcome to your calling and door after door is going to open. Let's get to work. And so then I just started like going with the flow and, and things just started happening in a, in a lot better way. And so it's very hard to kind of, you know, like have that intuition and read that. But when I did, that's when I knew. And, and so that's kind of how, you know, I made that pivot from, from one to the other. And then I'm an all in or all out type of guy. I didn't like double dipping. It also felt kind of weird. I wanted to go all in so I can concentrate. And so I was able to go all in on fitness. And so I'm sure that concentration plus that, you know, more doors being open, that's where it went, you know, nuts really quick. That's awesome. And I think a big takeaway there with you is like, obviously you worked super hard against the resistance of wrestling, right? So one of the things I don't want the listeners to hear from here is like, oh, if you just choose the right thing, it's just going to be super easy and you're going to be swimming with the stream and you'll just know that because it's easy, right? Oftentimes, no matter what you get into, even if it's the right direction, you're going to face resistance and you got to get through that temporary pain that you're going to face. So let's talk about that temporary pain of what were some of your biggest struggles when you first started your, your fitness business? So maybe not the gym, not the, the garage gym, but your actual first retail center, that gym, that was a, you know, like a bona fide business, yeah. right? What were some of your biggest struggles that you kind of first started when you first started your, your gym business? I mean, the first one is like having anybody believe in you when you have no business background. I, I went to a bank and they said, you're too high risk. We don't often do small business loans. And I just didn't have enough to cover all the expenses. And so, again, shout out to my mom, because I had about half. And she said, I will give you the other half, but you got to go into business with your brother. And you guys got to be 50-50 partners. And so, uh, you know, I took her up on that. But the next big learning lesson is the failure that came from that, which is it is very, very rare things go good when you go into business with family. Um, you guys just have blood, but that doesn't mean you have the same beliefs when it comes to, to business. And so where it showed up was about a year in, we were like, you know, just boneheads. Just We had these five gallon water cooler where they put it upside down and you kind of get your water. We're going to the local gas station. We're filling these things up for a buck 50. And the amount of clients we had, we were filling up five of these five gallon jugs twice a week. So it just felt like a huge waste of time. I'm sitting there, I'm waiting for this five gallon jug to refill, put the next one. I'm spending 30, 40 minutes. Then I'm lugging these things around. I'm like, dude, we just need to get sparklets. They deliver. I called them. It's 60 bucks a month and they'll come and they'll refill this thing twice a, twice a week. And he said like, no, that, you know, that costs way more. We're spending about $20 refilling it ourselves. Let's just do it ourselves and save the money. And it was at that moment I knew this isn't going to work for me and my brother to be in business together. We don't see, I'm very invest, save time, move quick, growth. He's very safe, do it yourself, work your face off. And so um, I'm not afraid of putting in hard work, but I want to work smart, smarter, not harder, right? 
And so that was the next learning lesson. And we unfortunately had a big falling out. He, when I said, I don't want to be in business anymore, I want to go open a gym and I'm going to go to the next town over. So I'm not stealing anybody. I try to do it like the most ethical way. Whatever's in the business bank account, it's yours. Like I try to check all the boxes. He took that as like, we don't want you in this family anymore. And so he stopped coming around to family events, um, you know, stopped being involved in the family. We had unfortunately this, you know, terrible falling out. And so that was the other, you know, learning lesson is that be very, very particular on who you really choose as a business partner. Do you really have complementary skills uh, or are you, you know, kind of like redundant skills? Because we both could do the same thing. We both could coach. We both could sell. There wasn't anything we were complimenting. We're just blood. And that's not a good enough reason to go into business together. You, you, you really need to think these things through. And I would say plan for the worst because everybody thinks of the best. And again, I'm an optimistic guy. So obviously that's how I went. So uh, tell yourself, what if we lose money a month? What's going to happen to our paychecks? What is both of our minimum amount we need to make? What are the what are the tasks you're going to do? What am I going to do? Because if you say that vague phrase, like we'll figure it out, you're ready for a world of hurt. You know, you don't want to say we'll figure it out to each other. So those were some of the the hardest parts of, you know, getting started is like no trust, no one really believing in you. And then again, um, getting family involved, which can be very messy. Uh, and it doesn't always go that way. But from what I've talked to many other people who got in business together, it has gone that way. So just make sure you do your due diligence and really think it through and don't just think we're, we're family, we'll figure it out because it did not have that effect on mine. I think, you know, obviously, if you were to do it again, like knowing what you know now, I think you would obviously go into it yes. with a different approach. That would be obviously potentially more successful, clear expectations, clear boundaries, clear roles and responsibilities, clear who's making decisions on what, right? All that stuff is really important if you're you're thinking about a partnership or you're even talking about bringing on a new team member. Those are things that are needed, but... I think one of the the curses of having so much belief in your ability is you you tend to overlook those things, right? Like I do it too, where now a new team member comes on board, they like it's clear on what their roles and responsibilities are versus in the past, we're like, well, we'll just figure it out when they, but for them, it's actually really stressful, right? They don't want to figure it out. They want a job because they want the the structure. But I think if you were to go back, I think you would, you know, probably be more successful at that. So just take those learning lessons. Like I agree, like 90% of people should not have a, a partnership unless there is some level of a strategic advantage of having that partner. You complement each other, but ultimately back to what you said earlier, you are getting married and uh, you're going to have to invest in that, that relationship to, to keep it strong. Cause when it breaks, it can break the entire business. And unfortunately for, for Dustin and broke, you know, family, family bonds. Um, so just be, just be careful with, with that. I've definitely heard a lot of horror stories of going into business with, with brothers and it now, you know, when you have to part ways for whatever reason, it's pretty much tears the entire family apart or, you know, and that that's definitely not what you want. So take that lesson and, and apply it in your life, but don't just think, well, it's not my brother. So I'm not going to listen to that. Listen to that. Like it's a partner or it's even bringing on a team member and really like, Team members, in a way, are business partners um, in, in many ways, and they can make your life a living hell as well if you don't do it right and you don't communicate and you don't have boundaries. Awesome. So obviously, there was a lot of learning lessons in that already, but if uh, the Dustin of today can go back and, and, and talk about Dustin entering the 
starting the fitness industry, what would be some advice you would tell? Uh, definitely go in with the mindset. It's going to take 10 times longer and it's going to cost 10 times more than you think, because, you know, you're like, oh, we'll, we'll, we're such hard workers. We'll be profitable in 60 days or, you know, like uh, that won't take very long. So uh, definitely. And I still get reminded by that to this day that, you know, uh, I'll get over ambitious. I might think because I've been doing it longer, it's going to somehow come faster to me. It probably does a little bit more, but it's often going to take longer than you think. So that that would be a big one. And I'd say another one is um, have a massive grand opening budget for marketing. Uh, most owners will spend a ton of money on equipment and um, whatever they're going to you know, design that the nice desk or the wall, the paint, the bathroom and all these things that don't really make you any money. And so it's like get what you need to get the job done and put everything else into marketing like you want to really make sure that you get the word out and you get I, I would rather have you not have even a month of losing money that you can go right into being in the you know the profit zone because you flooded your gym with new people because you you put the money into marketing. But then the final thing would be also realize they can come in the front door and they can walk right out the back if the product sucks. So don't be afraid to invest in good people. I had to operate on a budget and I had to find budget people, usually with no experience, very green. And I had to train them up and help them become uh, more skilled because I was operating from a budget. But I would easily go and buy a new Smith machine or a new dumbbell rack or whatever. It's like, why was I willing to drop a grand on that, but not find a trainer for three more dollars an hour? And they would come in factory install with all the skills that I need. And I'll retain people because that Smith machine is not going to hold anybody here or that dumbbell rack. And so it's just being too equipment focused, which we tend to think of those as toys, right? If we're grown adults in the gym, the equipment's toys. And we, we need to put our toys away and realize what keeps people here. And that's the people. So um, I, I would say that those are definitely the learning lessons I go back and teach myself. Invest in better people, invest in marketing. Um, yeah, those, those are definitely them. And, and it just goes back to the cost analogy, right? It's, hey, a better person is going to cost me X, but it's like, what is that actually costing you by not investing in, in that, right? And a lot of people struggle with that, especially people that have issues with money. Uh, or they lack belief that, hey, if I spend this money, it's going to have a, a positive outcome. And uh, for me, it's the same thing. Like every time I've tried to um, not put out the cost, it costs me way more. Yes. Uh, every every single time. Uh, really important question, because one of our goals and initiatives, too, is helping people really transition from, you know, in the trenches, being coaches to to becoming the CEOs of their business. What what was the hardest part for you from transitioning from being the trainer to now actually being a CEO of a business that oversees, you know, three gyms, and then you have a super successful uh, business with gym reinforcements, which requires you to be the CEO. What were some of the hardest parts with those transitions? Absolutely. By far becoming a good leader uh, because I only could make a bigger impact by really just becoming a better leader by passing down what I know to my team and sometimes even getting better people who choose to follow me and believe in our mission who are more skilled than me and only because I've developed myself as a leader that that you know I'm able to communicate or cast a big vision or really you know make people feel encouraged or give them 
creative power. You know, a lot of people leave a job because it's so controlling and there's so much oversight that they might even take a pay cut to just say, can I get some breathing room here? You know, like you guys are cool. Like it's not so like, uh, you know, like uh, hard managed. And so these are things I had to become better at is, is a is a better leader to go from being the trainer. You know, you still got to be a good leader in that role, but it's, it's very much I'm a, I'm a single producer. Like I got my client's results. I could sell if I'm sitting in front of somebody. I could do these things. Now it's a much harder thing to duplicate that into other people. So definitely no question to go from trainer to CEO. It's become a better leader. And just so everyone knows, it's not like, hey, what's the leadership book that now makes me a, a great leader? I definitely think you have to put in the reps yes. and make a ton of mistakes and, and learn what not to do in order to become the leader that that you are today. And the biggest the biggest leap is going from from coach to leader, like always. Right. So um, what's what are your greatest strengths in the leader and what is maybe something that you're still working on or trying to improve upon? Definitely my strengths are my natural gifts, which is solution minded, encouraging, positive. I think what I added over time is being a team player. I wanted us all to win. Where in the beginning, I was like, how do I get this company to grow? And I realized that that path is helping my team make more. You know, the more they make, the more they're invested in the company growing. And so now a lot of times I'm plotting, how can I make them more? How could I come up with more commission options for them? How could I figure out opportunities for them to grow? How can I skill them up? And so I'm just like thinking about the team the way I used to think about my clients, where I used to stay up at nights thinking, how do I get them results? And how do I get them to change their habits? And how do I get them more successful? Now I'm doing that to my team who I need to then take that down to the clients. Um, and I'd say another nat natural strength of mine is pushing people out of their comfort zone. If you were with me at one of my gyms, you would never have spent a day on Facebook and you are going to learn how to go Facebook live because you just naturally by being around me, I will push you out of your comfort zone. You will learn to sell by being around me. You will get on Facebook and go live. You'll start making content. You'll now get into leadership. I'll be buying you books. And so like, I would always be the guy pushing people out of their comfort zone. And, and people would say, I never grew at any other company like I grew at yours. I actually miss it. They were moved on. They're like, they don't do that here. I miss when we used to do that. And so those are my strengths. I would definitely, you know, admit to my weaknesses as well, which is I because I'm an idea guy, I, I know in the past I've changed things too fast on my team and I didn't give them proper training. I expect it because I said it. It's now in your guys' head. Off we go. And that's not how they operate. They're like, let's go over that again. Break it down for me. More details, more training. Repeat it, please. And so that's a weakness that I'm, you know, even still working on. Um not learning about other personality types, immediately assuming everyone in the world is the same as me. And I had to learn those different personality types and how they speak. It's kind of like changing, you know, the, your language. You know, if someone's bilingual and they have to go and change your language, that's literally personality types too. So uh, learning that. Um, and then not getting the team's input. Like I, I would just say, here's what we're doing. Get to work, everybody. And like, because Dustin had this idea. Um, what do you guys think? Are you bought in? What do you guys think? What's your feedback? Do you think the clients are going to like it? Do you like it? Like, uh, get, tell me what we could do better. Tell me why we shouldn't do it. Like just going more into team feedback rather than here we go, let's get to work. And the, I guess the final one I throw in there is just promoting people 
because I'm friends with them or because seniority, you know, and I, I promised myself, I never want to have like a political organization. And we were really good about that. People couldn't just come and talk to me and become friends with me and then suddenly get more opportunities. But, you know, it's just natural. Like the more time you spend with someone, the more you just see their gifts. And then when you have holes in your company, you're like, oh, I know who to go there because I talk to that person all the time. So I know where if like you don't really talk to somebody, you don't know what their gifts are. You don't know where to plug them in. So it just naturally happens. I don't think it was ever political. But at the same time, that is not a reason to put someone in a in a, in a new position. They need to have the skills, the experience, you know, and, and, and honestly, I, I know I always even kind of like give both sides of the coin because i do think if there's the budget you want to pay for the person that has the skills and experience if you don't you are often getting somebody that has no experience doing that but expect it to not be the best expect it to not be quality right and so that's kind of the the give and take every business owner especially if they're a small business owner has to kind of like decide am i going to literally take raw person and give them the skill or am I willing to pay more for, to find somebody that has the skills installed? And so th those are definitely the things that I, I, you know, struggle with in the beginning, or I should say I still struggle with uh, when it comes to leadership. All right. We have a hard stop. So last question, what is your favorite book of all time? Man, that is such a hard question. I honestly, like I had like five that I wrote down that I was like cycling through. Now, which one is it? Which one is it? But I'm going to go with because of, us talking a lot about leadership and just so many of the cool stories that is in it. Um, it's Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I think that there's a lot of great books I've read on that topic, the five levels of leadership, um, you know, for yourself, outwitting the devil, um, secrets of the millionaire mind is really about money mindset. But I just think that that is just so practical. And I don't think anything changes in your business until you take ownership over yourself. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that's going to be the one that I'm going to, I'm going to go with, Matt. All right. Awesome. Hopefully this was an amazing podcast for you. Dustin, where can people find more from you? Yeah. If you guys want to work with Jim Reinforcements, very simple, jimreinforcements.com. If you got just general business questions, I'm very responsive on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Just look at my name, Dustin Vogel, shoot me a DM and let's chat. Always happy to help. All right. That is all we have for you guys today. If you want to find more information of working with us, you can find it in the show notes. You can see it down in the descriptions on YouTube, and we will see you all in the next episode. Hey guys, before we let you go, I want to share with you the details about the Fitness Empire Mentorship. We are now enrolling for it. And this is something that me and Matt have come together because we are wanting to help the fitness industry, the industry that has given us so much, we want to give back. All right. And that's why we're making this a very, very low price so that all gym owners are not priced out and everybody can enjoy this coaching and mentorship experience. So it's only $10 a day, if you can believe it, to join this mentorship program. So if you guys go to yourfitnessempire.com, sign up, what we are here and on a mission to do is to help you to impact lives. Yes, there will be business talk, marketing and sales and leadership and team recruitment. But at the end of the day, we're really going to be looking at clients getting results and client experience. That is the big thing that we want to help you solve. And it starts with you and it goes to your team and it goes to all the systems that you guys use day to day. And we're going to deep dive into all of this stuff in the mentorship. So if that sounds like something you want some help with, again, go to yourfitnessempire.com. We'll see you in the mentorship.